0: Hello, racing fans. Edison Hatter back with you here. Another episode of First Over with Edison Hatter, another special Tuesday episode where we will recap this past weekend's racing action. And glad to be joined by a special guest later on the show here. We have Dave Weaver from TVG to join us today. But first things first, we'll recap a little bit quickly about Wood Mohawk action last week, starting with the Wednesday evening show when Robert Reed Jr. and I talked to you about the early and late pick five. That early pick five, both Robert Reed Jr. and I gave you tickets, and Robert had a very good day in that early pick five. Race one, the eighth, best keepsake at six to five, got the job done, both alive through that first leg. But race two, the two Shanghai Seals at nine to two, provided a good little price in the sequence. The third race, the sixth, more than my hometown at five to one, provided yet another little bit of an upset. Now, the fourth race was when it got really good for Robert Reed Jr. At four to one, Sunday afternoon, his single in the sequence, Got the job done, so he was alive to a couple different horses in that last leg, and he got the best price of them. The 10 Cyclone Sister that he made a good case for got the job done at 8-1 to to round out a $1,465 Pick 5 ticket for just a 20-cent investment. So congratulations to Robert Reed Jr. Hopefully you played along with his ticket at home and not my losing ticket and was able to cash one yourself. Now, as for the late pick five, a little different story there. Both Robert Reed Jr. and I told you we thought it could be very formful, and it turned out to be exceedingly formful. It kicked off in the sixth race with a four Delight by Ama at eight to five. Western Wish got it done in race seven at even money. DeWitt for Josie, who was Robert Reed Jr.'s single in that late pick five, got the job done at four to five, your odds on favorite from the nine to two morning line. Race nine, the sixth, so much more at two to one was actually the biggest price in that late pick five sequence as the four where we expat one race 10 at one to five. So a very, very formful late pick five sequence eight to five, even money four to five, two to one and one to five. Got you $21 and some change for a 20 cent winning ticket. Now, as for the Saturday action at Wood by Mohawk, you got to listen last Friday morning to Ashley Mayo and I giving you early pick five tickets and in the first race of that early pick five sequence, still with that $100,000 guaranteed pool, the six Let's Get Pickled got the job done at three to one. And Ashley Mayhew included that horse. I did not. I was knocked out in the first leg. In race two, the two stone bridge Helios at seven to five kept us, or at least kept Ashley rolling. Race three, the four Victor Invictus at two to one got the job done. In race four, the eight Parisian Blue Chip ended up being a horse that both Ashley and I overlooked. We did not include him, and he got the job done at two to one from that outside post. And in race five, at least I did give you one horse last weekend, if you were listening in, the seven, he's swift, 24 to one, the third of three horses that I used in that leg, made a good case for him. And he did indeed pull the $51 upset. That was a $2,250 pick five winning ticket for 20 cents. If you had that on Saturday evening and hopefully someone out there listening did now, as to those other featured races on Saturday that Ash and I talked you through, we talked about race six where the fourth century inspector at four to one got the job done Better have my money was sent off at one to nine again. A very heavy favorite was 15 cents on the dollar. And honestly, just didn't have it. Just a weekend through the stretch and ended up finishing fifth out of five again at one to nine. So better have my money. A disappointing effort for sure. But sentry inspector at four to one pulls the upset in race six. And finally in the 10th race, we talked about that preferred event. The two where we vital was four to was four to five at post and ended up winning as your odds on choice. He was an impressive winner the week before when both Robert Reed Jr. and I gave you that horse. And he comes back here in the preferred to get the job done at 4-5. to five. Ashley and I's top selection, wheels on fire. Ended up fourth, had a pretty good trip, so not really a whole lot of excuses for wheels on fire in that kind of disappointing fourth-place finish in that field of six. So racing does continue, as always, would by Mohawk. Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the rest of this week, including tonight, races 5 and 9, some Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Divisions. 11 races total in tonight's card. Those races 5 and 9, no, those Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Divisions, $100,000 purchase for both of those races. 7 p.m. first post time tonight, as always. So lots of great racing action from Woodbine Mohawk. And as always, you can get your free programs at woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs. So with that, we will turn our attention to some other racing action. The rest of the weekend, we'll bring in our guest for the day. We have Dave Weaver from TVG with us. Dave, welcome. What's up, Edison? So Dave, I, I suppose we could introduce you as many different titles But uh, especially after this past weekend, is possibly the one you're most known as, uh, Sophie's dad, after we brought back Sophie's cinch this past weekend?
1: Yeah, that was pretty fun. She hadn't been on in uh, a long time, probably at least a year. But we got Sophie back in the spotlight to give out her cinch, and she did what she always does. She picked a winner. I, I don't know how she does it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, later on uh, down the road, maybe we can get you on on a Wednesday or Thursday episode and do some handicapping, and maybe Sophie can give us a uh, harness racing cinch for once.
1: <laughs> she never. Yeah, it's always been Los Al. Whether it be a quarter horse or a thoroughbred, but that's where I grew up. I grew up at Los Al. They had thoroughbred racing, they had quarter horse racing, and they had harness racing. So I grew up in all of it. But Sophie's never really seen the the standard breads as much. So we need a we need a we need a teacher.
0: So, Dave, you you alluded to it there, but for sure, you are for sure one of the TVG talent that has a lot of experience in a lot of different places. Obviously, you have done some Los Alamitos, especially during the pandemic last year. And I think I speak on behalf of a lot of fans when I say thank you so much for your great coverage, getting us all through the pandemic on those Friday, Saturday, Sunday evenings with some Los Al coverage. Obviously, you cover plenty of thoroughbreds for TVG, and you also do some harness racing as well.
1: Yeah, I, I would probably say I'm the most versatile as far as being able to, you know, if they ask me to do anything, I would raise my hand probably every single time, no matter what it is, if it's Breeders' Cup or Breeders' Crown or All-American Futurity, whatever it is, I would love to have an opportunity to, to cover it for TBG.
0: So I know you've been to a lot of different tracks, of course, in your times, and uh, obviously, First, we'll ask you about the Meadowlands. I know you've been there, not. unfortunately not this year with us, but some Hamiltonians in years past, as well as this summer you got a chance to slip up there as well.
1: Yeah, I was um, hopefully going to do the Hambo, and I, I got redirected down to Del Mar, so Caden did an excellent job um, getting a chance to, to cover this year's Hambo. But I've done plenty of Hamiltonians in the past, and I got a chance to cover Monmouth Park this, this year. And, of course, if I'm an hour away from the Meadowlands, you know that's where I'm going to be at night. Actually, as a matter of fact, I've been becoming so used to the surrounding restaurants and the hotel that I like to stay at um, right near the Meadowlands that when I covered Monmouth for the week, I stayed in Lyndhurst. So I drove, I prefer to be closer to the Meadowlands and commute to Monmouth rather than the other way around, just because I love it so much there um, at the Big M.
0: Hey, tough to fault you for that. I do a little bit of that as well. Of course, I also work as the track announcer at Freehold, just about 10 minutes west of uh Monmouth Park. So I also, when I do Freehold my Meadowlands, having to work with double headers, I do stay in Lynnhurst and then drive back down to Freehold during the next day. So cannot blame you for that one. Um for sure. <laughs> have have you called a, you've called Rosecroft, right? I have, and that's where we're gonna ask you about next, because I know you were just before I started working full time at Rosecroft in September twenty nineteen. And I know you last made an appearance there in May twenty nineteen. I for sure was watching from home as a fan. So tell us a little bit about that day.
1: Yeah, so I was going to say we didn't have something in common because we both called a race from uh, the booth at Rosecroft. Pete let Todd and I come up and each call a race. It was Preakness weekend, so it had been May of 2019, and Rosecroft decided to invite us down to have a match race. So we were both in double jog carts, basically. Todd and I were with drivers, and we were – One and 1A, you know, just going around the track. And I beat Todd by maybe a diminishing half a length. But then you could probably find that on Twitter, at Todd TVG. I think he tweeted it out from way back uh, in in May of 2019. He was videoing the thing from his phone the entire time. And he got a really good vantage point of what it's like to be in the sulky. But in doing that, I think he blew his chance at winning the race because I was determined to win and he was – you know, fiddling around on, on social media. So thank you, Todd, for letting me win.
0: <laughs> so for sure. So you got the chance to call, you said, from the booth, of course, correct? We have both called from yeah. the same booth. Now, something that I know some of our listeners know, because people know me and I know I've told them before, but many might not know that that is a booth for a half mile track, but the racetrack ended up being expanded to a five eighths mile track. So a little bit tricky to see around those corners, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it's at least it is still like a, a small track because I've had the opportunity now. Um, it's so awesome that I have good friends like you that are announcers that when the opportunity calls and I get invited to call a race, I never say no. And I've had about five, six chances maybe now, Delta Downs, Pompano, Rosecroft, Charlestown, all the smaller circumferences. But I got to call a race with Gary Seibel at Cal Expo, which is a mile track. So to me... Even though maybe the configuration of the booth is not suited um, for, for the 5.8s, at least it's not a big track. Because t- for me, the toughest one was the bigger track. So I would imagine that the Meadowlands, is, it's, it's the same where, you know, you have really got to cover a, a, a lot of ground with, with your eyes. Whereas the smaller track, you can pretty much see what's going on even without the binoculars.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I do obviously enjoy calling whenever I get the opportunity Saturday morning, the baby races at the Meadowlands on the big mile track, but definitely is easier on the smaller tracks. And in particular, I think Freehold might actually be the easiest just because it's daytime and a half mile track. And yeah. by the way, you can add that one to your list. If you're ever back out to Monmouth, you know, or right there at Freehold in central New Jersey. Come on out and you welcome to the oh, car okay. race with us there if you a chance. <laughs> that sounds like a, an offer that I will not turn down. So hopefully we'll get a chance to see it. possibly. I know we overlap a little bit. Uh, freehold coming back here. Actually, next week. We'll start next week, Fridays and Saturdays, 1230, First Post. And I uh, know overlap with Monmouth just a little bit. We actually have the same stewards, actually, that uh, our judges with us at Freehold are actually some of the stewards over at Monmouth. So they get the true double duty there, the third reds and the harnesses. <laughs> I've been
1: at Freehold. Um, it's probably been 20 years, but um, that's one of the tracks that I can... Put a check mark next to, I remember a lot of picnic chairs and just people hanging out on the apron. I don't know what it is like, you know, these days versus in the, maybe the mid, late 90s, early 2000s, but it was a, it was a pretty cool vibe.
0: Probably hasn't changed a whole lot since then, but for sure it is a very nice track A uh, nice to have on the after the afternoon delight, we call it a freehold, very nice uh, racing action and always nice fans out there. And a very enjoyable experience for me in my now eight months working up there and, Looking forward to getting back for sure next week. But of other tracks you've been to, we'll ask you about the one this past weekend you got to check off for the first time visiting Harrow's Hoosier Park in Indiana, getting to see good friends Michael Chamberlain and Emily Gaskin. I got to see
1: Emily. I didn't get a chance to go up and say hi to Michael, but um, I was watching his coverage along with, uh, you know, Rick Moore and Emily and Hollywood Hayden did an awesome job, too, on that broadcast that evening for the Dan Patch. But it was cool. I'd never been anywhere in, in Indiana. That was the first time that I'd ever landed there down in Indianapolis. And it was pretty cool. I, I was amazed by the amount of cornfields that I, I always think Nebraska, maybe Iowa, when you think corn, i tell you what, Indiana, that's all it was. And if you look closely on the, on the feed when you're watching Hoosier Park, they're backed up against the cornfield. I never noticed it until I started till I saw it driving in. And then now when, now when I'm looking uh, on the Hoosier feed, I always notice that there it is. But yeah, I was like amazed by the amount of agriculture that they have all around. And I, I got a chance to play golf the morning of the Dan Patch about a half an hour away. And I got a chance to kind of drive just through the Indiana countrysides. And it was phenomenal for a guy that's basically from LA to see that kind of uh, beauty was pretty cool for me.
0: Yeah, you know, I do that all the time whenever I go to new tracks. It's always interesting to kind of see things that you see on the simulcast feed and kind of, you know, actually be there and piece it together. But mm-hmm. uh, you should have gotten the opportunity. I guess you were out there August the 13th that Friday. You should have gone to Iowa the night before. You could have seen the Field of Dreams game.
1: I know. I, I looked it up on the map. It was like a seven-hour drive, so it wasn't exactly right on the border. It was a, It would have been a hike, but I ended up watching it, part of it uh, up in the sports book that they have now um, at who's Hoosier Park, so it was all good. It was that was a fun night.
0: Yeah, I know. At one point last year, when they were going to hold it, I considered myself never really been to the Midwest. Would have liked to have gone out to that game, but I think I saw the cheapest tickets might have been somewhere around like sixteen hundred or something just to get in. So for sure, a very popular event out there.
1: <laughs> I've got some information on you, by the way, that I don't know if you've uh, you've revealed here on first over. By the way, if I did a podcast, it would be dead cover with Dave Weaver. That actually has a, a good ring to it. But you. As I think you were maybe 17, 16, 18 on your birthday, you got four, I guess not necessarily foul balls, but you got four balls at four different ballparks in the same day. Little known fact about Edison Hatter.
0: Probably is for sure a little known fact. Yeah, I do love going to baseball games, obviously, now uh, with my job and, you know, out of college, a uh, little bit less time. But yes, that happened in twenty. 20- 17, that was my 18th birthday, because most years have been spent at a baseball game. I think the year before that, I was in Toronto at the Blue Jays. The year before that was, I believe, Denver. This year, I was actually at PNC Park to watch a rain out in uh, Pittsburgh um, before I had uh. to call the races at the Meadows the next day. But yeah, that year was 2017, the year I turned 18, and it included three minor league ballparks in Maryland, starting with the Hagerstown Suns, the Frederick Keys, and the Bowie Bay Sox, some Orioles and Nationals affiliates, and then rounded it out with a ball at nationals park at the nationals game that night. So you are correct.
1: <laughs> yeah. By the way, have you covered, um, every single bar ballpark? Because Simon Bray, his son, Oliver, I think he's probably seven or eight. He's trying to take him to every ballpark and they've covered about maybe nine of them. I think now most of them on the, uh, on the West coast, but it's his goal. to Take his son to every single park. Are you trying to follow that same dream or have you already done that? Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely a dream, not quite there yet. Uh, a little bit more than nine. I think I'm just over halfway at this point. Um, but yeah, for sure. Actually, I'll tell you a lot of them. You know, it's been a while since I've been to California. To be honest with you, sports and especially horse racing have really kind of entered my life a little bit later on than probably most people. Probably by the time I was maybe 13 or 14, I really started to get into sports in general and horse racing somewhere around 16 or 17. So I was probably 12 the last time I was in California. So sometime soon. I really got to take a trip to see, you know, Santa Anita, Los Al, yeah. Del Mar, Cal Expo, and also, you know, uh, Angel Stadium, Dodgers, Padre, You know, fill all of them in there for sure. Come on out, I'll be your concierge. I will definitely take you up on that offer as well. So next time you're out, Freehold, you can hit me up, and I'll hit you up next time we're out in California. We got a plan.
1: Let's talk more about Dan Patch night because, um, as, as you said, that was the first time that that I had ever been there, but. Is not the last time. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back. I already already asked TBG if they let me cover the uh, Caesar Trotting Classic September the 24th, if I'm remembering correct, next month, where they'll have the best trotters in the world there at, at Hoosier Park. But it was cool. And that had to be, I mean, as far as harness racing goes in, in 2021, that's got to be a top five race, right? The Dan Patch coming down with basically five horses across the wire the favorite Catch the Fire, who continues his hot streak now with five wins out of his last six starts, just found an opening there. Scott Zeron. zero It was kind of an interesting way that that race developed. Yannick had This Is the Plan, who's a big speed horse, and he actually took him back and followed Catch the Fire, who made the top, and then I didn't know if Scotty was going to let Yannick go, and I don't know if he wanted to let him go or just This Is the Plan just had such a big brush that he got to the top, and it worked out. For Zeron, because Catch the Fire ended up winning out of the pocket. But the the two local horses, the six horse little rocket man, and the nine horse, tell me about it, the Hoosier specialists were both in the superfecta. And all of the all the locals were excited about those people getting a good chunk of that purse and not letting the the invaders come and steal it all.
0: Yeah, a lot, a lot of things to dissect there, but for sure, I think it's got to start with the nine. Actually, tell me about it. Who at sixty-eight to one finished second and was only beaten by a neck? I mean, how strongly was he closing at the end? He came home in twenty-five and two for the last quarter. He just about got there.
1: He he actually went faster in the week before. He won the open in forty-eight flat. The the Dan Patch went forty-eight and one. So we knew he could go that fast, but he was just so far out of it. He was dead last. I mean, he, he must have come his last half in 51 and change. I don't know. It, it was just sick because he was way back and they sizzled home. So it was an incredible performance at that big of a price for Michael Oosten to come flying. But kudos to the winner, uh, Catch the Fire and Todd Luther. I mean, what a horse. So, you know, he wins one of the divisions of the, the Sam McKee. He wins a damn patch. Uh, he was third in the Battle of Lake Erie behind this, the plan in that world record time. He didn't have a very good trip from the 10 post and the Houghton, but you know, if he ends up running the table, um, from here on out, what a year it would be for the, uh, for the older pacing division.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He has, has been very good for sure. And yeah, I think it was super impressive. Obviously you got a chance to see him last weekend. I saw him two weekends ago on Hamiltonian day, beating a very good Nicholas Beach um in a stakes race and for sure uh now this is the plan the two disappointments for me out of that race personally where this is the plan who i you know i think i'm just convinced at this point that he prefers those smaller tracks i mean he did so well at northfield he did so well the garrity up in saratoga both half mile tracks so i think he prefers maybe the smaller tracks but also catawash who was so good winning back-to-back races three and four starts ago now and last time out at the Meadowlands on Hamiltonian Day, also kind of was forwardly placed and then just really didn't kick home that strongly and kind of did it again here.
1: Yeah, you know, Ron Burks, he's won the uh, the Dan Patch twice, which seems like a lot, but for a guy that's had as long a career as him and as good of horses, maybe, maybe it's just not a track that, um, you know, the, the horses that do well in other places show up and win. As a matter of fact, Hollywood Hayden made an unbelievable point in in one of his uh stats doing some research, foiled again. The leading money earner in the history of the sport, total amount of dollars earned ever in the Dan Patch, zero. So that's another horse, kind of like this is the plan that maybe it was just better on the smaller tracks and you get to the seven eights and you just don't fire. So the the top Burke performer was Backstreet Shadow, who who finished third. He's in good form right now. But you're right, cattle wash and this is the plan. I I just don't think really fit the profile for the track that night it was it was playing to courses that were coming from behind they're both horses that want to be on the lead and it just wasn't their day
0: it wasn't and you know Hoosier is one of those tracks it's kind of a quirky seven eights because you know I'm sure every gambler's got their certain tracks but for me it's always Hoosier that stretch is just so 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 long if you're on the lead you know you are just begging for the wire sometimes (laughs)
1: and usually the wind is playing, at least that night it was, and I think that's pretty much the norm. It's a it's a headwind down the backside, and then it's a, it's a tailwind down the lane. So you'll see those 25 and change opening quarters, and then maybe a 54 half as they're going into the wind, and then they'll fly home in, in 25 and a piece or, or 26 flat. So sometimes that, that tailwind will really help the horses coming from way back and, and get them to come these sizzling, Final quarters.
0: So you had mentioned, obviously, to, to to close it up here on on catch the fire winning the damn patch stakes. Uh, there was some significant prices in this race, even right with a sixty eight to one horse finishing second to close out a two hundred and five dollar exacta. and you got an eleven to one and twelve to one backstreet shadow and little rocket man rounding out that superfecta. And that superfecta paid north of eleven hundred dollars for a twenty cent ticket. So prices yeah. to be had despite the favorite winning the race.
1: With the favorite on top, I was reading an article at USTrotting.com, too, about Catch the Fire, and I didn't know until I read it. He actually stood for a season in between basically the end of his three-year-old year until he he came back a, in early May at Scioto. And he, I think, covered, I'm, it wasn't a ton, but maybe 40 or 50 mares, and, and then came back to racing. That's something that you don't see all that often.
0: For sure you don't. And, you know, we were just talking about this last Tuesday, actually, with Kate and Bradar talking about Manchego at the Meadowlands, that, you know, they were going to retire her after last season. And especially considering what she's done now this year, she's six for seven so far. Those connections have to be super thrilled with their decision. And likewise here, given the form the catch the fires running into this year, I've got to think those connections are probably pretty happy the way that it all worked out as well. <laughs>
1: And maybe they'll just end up doing that from here on out and let him let him cover some mirrors after the end of this year and bring him back as a five year old. I mean, he's just pacing so good right now that you you would think that there's just so much money still to be made on the racetrack.
0: So, Dave, we'll ask you just briefly without great detail, but just the rest of the card in general. Mostly, I'm just amazed. I was a little bit busy, of course, out of Pittsburgh, so I kind of had to watch some replays to catch up on some of the racing action. But how about some of the not only close finishes, but the prices? I mean, your first two races you ever saw at Hoosier Park, you had neck finish in both races, had a sixteen to one horse, a fifteen to one horse throughout the card, a twenty to one in the fifth race, <laughs> another nose finish in the sixth, going to a fourteen to one shot. And then how about that fifty five to one shot to close out the card?
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was the uh there's a big super high five carryover from the night before. And I was wondering if anybody would hit it, but it was chalky enough underneath where even with the uh, 110 plus dollar winner, um, it, it was hit. I think it paid upwards of uh, about 15,000 for that 20 cent Hoosier high five. But yeah, uh, what a way to end the night. And even the night before I popped over after I had landed and got a chance to see some of the racing on Thursday, 33 to 1, 16 to 1. So it was a weekend of, of massive prices at Hoosier.
0: For sure. Hopefully you were able to cash some tickets in that there wasn't. yourself. And <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, that, that that's that's Super I5 and the last race came back uh sixteen thousand five hundred and nine dollars for a twenty cent ticket. Uh so yeah, fifty-five to one on top definitely will give you some price. And you're right, you know, if you could Somehow come up with that horse on top. Underneath was all single-digit horses. The next uh, two, three, four, five. So it was actually a little formful underneath, really. Once you got past that big upsetter, but um, definitely some prices on that card for sure.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to take full credit for the handle being up, but I definitely uh, sent it in a little bit. But I think the presence of TVG being there on site, we had some of the Hoosier Park racing even going uh, coinciding with Delmar. But once Delmar wrapped up and there was no Los Al now on Friday nights, Hoosier Park really had the, the centerpiece on TVG and the handle from comparison from last year to this year was a million to about a million 450 So it was up about $450,000 year over year. So I think it was great that, um, that the, the betters showed up on Dan patch night.
0: Yeah, definitely was a very good handle overall. A three hundred over three hundred thousand handled on the damn patch itself. And that fifteenth and final with that big super high five pool I handled nearly over a quarter million dollars. And that was also, I guess, a good time as well. I believe that race was basically at midnight, right? Definitely a long night for fifteen races.
1: Yeah, it was cool though. There, there were a lot of a uh, lot of fans uh, down on the apron. I mean, as you would expect, the the dam patch was the thirteenth. After the thirteenth, it, it did kind of clear clear out. Everybody was there to see the great Pacers, and then the last two races were just kind of some overnights. But um, it, there was not as many people on the rail for race number fifteen. But it was a great night. The the weather there was supposed to be a little bit of rain throughout the week, and then as we got closer to to uh, to game time on on Friday night, it was just perfect condition so everything worked out wonderfully
0: so dave just a couple of minutes here left and get a chance to ask you just out of curiosity about some of your handicapping for harness racing so obviously on the thoroughbred and quarter horse side you're obviously very very well known for your ice cold exactas so do you actually have a similar strategy in harness racing Do you like your ice cold exactas there as well or do you kind of have a little different strategy with harness racing
1: um, when I'm playing harness racing, I'm, I'm more of a pick four and a pick five player. As a matter of, night, uh, matter of fact, on, on Monday night at Mohawk, I played the early pick five, and kudos to, to Robert Reed Jr. And I pulled up the, the horse player journal. He picked a nine-to-one on top in that uh, first leg with, with cool muscle. With my Mohawk $20 winner, which I use. I ended up whiffing. But I don't tend to play the ice cold exact as much um, in, in the harness racing as I want to kind of spread out and play some pick fours and pick five. But there was one, boy, what race was it? Oh, it was, I think it might've been Hambo eliminations night. I don't know. I, uh, I played a big ice cold. Oh, it was with Atlanta. It was uh it was a big ice cold Atlanta won, and, and Sears was trapped on the rail and couldn't get through. And I think he ended up finishing Fourth, but that's probably the last big ice cold I played, and it left a bad taste in my mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, in general, I love I love my multi race wagers. I don't know. Whenever I go to the track, I'm just a big fan of being able to you know place a bet and go get a beer and you know be good for 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 a couple hours there and just watch one bet and uh, that's really the way I like to play it. But uh, you mentioned Robert Reed Jr. and you know he's now been my guest on two of our first five episodes here. And as we mentioned in the beginning, we got to give him credit once again. He gave out a fourteen hundred and sixty five dollar winning pick five tickets for last Friday night's card uh, for a 20 cent ticket. And I think he only played like a 15 or $16 ticket. So uh, it's a very good handicapping from him for sure.
1: Yeah, he, he's dialed in. And I. so, you know, I, I sit here and, you know, tinker around with with Woodbine Mohawk. You know, Meadowlands, we only get um, the, the two nights on Fridays and Saturdays. But last night I played a little bit at, at Northfield when Cal Expo comes back um obviously here out on the west coast still i mean it's tough for you guys to play up until two in the morning on the east coast but i just like having that option of a a late race track um so you know i'm i'm game you know with with whatever's going i'm probably one of the gamest gamblers out there that is willing to fire away
0: yeah, you know, I surely do wish uh, – the one thing – I wish I could live on the West Coast purely just for the timing of it all that I definitely have spent a couple of nights, I think we all do as gamblers, you know, maybe watching some 3 a.m. Australia or I guess with some of these later cards, at Los Al, recently even 2 a.m. Los Al. So if I guess if that was 11 p.m. Los Al or midnight Australia back there on the West Coast, maybe that sounds a little bit better.
1: The weirdest thing for a sports fan on the East Coast realizing – on the West Coast is that we have to wake up at 10 a.m. on a Sunday for some football. I don't know if that's a good thing or or a bad thing. I kind of think it's good to have it come a little bit earlier than having to wait all the way until one o'clock for that first kickoff. But I think that's the weirdest difference between East Coast and West Coast sports is that first game on an NFL Sunday.
0: Well, that's a good point. And also, I guess with some other random sporting events in there for sure, I'm thinking in particular um, last, uh, this past Sunday, uh, golf, the Wyndham Championship, they moved to the tee times up because of the rain and uh, coming in the afternoon. And uh, no key or I had to set an alarm for like 9 a.m. to catch the leaders tee off. So I guess that would have been 6 a.m. when you're Sunday morning out west. So I guess there are some positives and negatives.
1: I'm a big golf fan as well. I love watching golf. So um, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to get out and watch a PGA event live, but they have here um, at Riviera the tournament every year, Torrey Pines down in San Diego every year, and there's one in Palm Springs. So it's it's awesome to go watch those guys play live if you've never done it.
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned it. That That's one thing on my list here recently this year that I really wanted to get to do, and i um, debating which one it's going to be, but I'm pretty confident I'm going to check that off here in the next two weeks. I uh, don't Work this coming weekend in the tournaments in Jersey City, so right around the Meadowlands, about 15 minutes south. But, of course, really? I live down here in Maryland by Laurel Park, so a little bit of a hike, but I may do it. But if not, the BMW Championship next week, the second round of the PGA playoffs, is um, at Kays Valley Golf Club in Owings Mill, Maryland. That's about 25 minutes north of me or so. So one of these next two weekends, maybe even both for that matter. For sure I'm going to check that off the list. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you you got to do it, and I know you're a big sporting fan, big horse racing fan, and you've done a great job, by the way. I don't know if anybody's really from TVG expressed how appreciative we are of you, you know, joining us on the nights that you can there at the big M. There's been a lot of people that have uh, sat in that chair over the years, going all the way back to you know Darren Zicali and Justin Horowitz and Jen Bongiorno, and you know, it's a uh, it's been a little bit of a of a revolving door of who's gets the, the call to, to help out TVG. But uh, every night you're on, I always appreciate what you bring.
0: Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And for me, it, it I know it's now been a couple of months, but in some sense, it's still just kind of surreal of, of how many hours I've spent through college and everything else watching TVG and listening to all of you guys and to actually be on there now and hear my own voice is a very, very cool experience for sure.
1: <laughs> it is. And it was same for me, you know, in, in the beginning. Now it's kind of old hat 22 years later. but I know exactly how you feel.
0: So, Dave, I think that's just about all the time we have. But if anyone wants to continue the conversation with either you or I, you or I, on social media, we can both be found on Twitter. You are at Ice Cold Exacta, and I am at Edison underscore nineteen ninety nine underscore. And again, we'll be back later this week, t- tomorrow night, actually, as well as Thursday night to discuss the Friday and Saturday racing action at wood by mohawk again thanks again to dave weaver for joining us today dave for sure hopefully we can get you back on in the future with sophie and we can do some handicapping together
1: let's get that twitter handle you got to say it the right way on twitter i'm at ice cold exacta there you go
0: there we go i was going to ask you to do it and uh yeah i should have done that first i definitely cannot do it as well as you can for sure So, again, that wraps up this episode of First Over for the Edison Hatter. Again, thanks so much, to Dave Weaver, for joining us. And, again, we'll hope we talk to you next time tomorrow night and Thursday night. We'll talk about this weekend's racing action at Wood by Mohawk for this upcoming weekend. They're racing on tonight as well. Again, Tuesday racing tonight at Wood by Mohawk, first post time, 7 p.m. And also we'll race Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to close out the rest of the racing week. Till next time, Edison Hatter signing off.